Welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum and Matt Levine. And we're talking about all our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional kaiju creature features space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between. All strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with part of the proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com, hit the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts, as Camp Kaiju says. Stay campy, everybody. And joining us again is our very special host, Ben Cook-Feltz. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Great to be back. (laughs) We didn't scare you off. Oh, no, 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 no. And apparently not the other way around either. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the contrary. Our Mothra conversation was so great. We had to have you back for another one. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you all for hanging out as well, for listening, for watching. Please rate and review wherever you do those things. You can also share this podcast with a friend. Yeah. So check out our website, campkaijumoviereviews.com. Not only do we have links to all of our podcast episodes, uh, we also have more in-depth reviews, both about movies that we do talk about in the podcast and those we don't. For example, Vincent recently wrote about Cocaine Bear. And you just wrote one about Barbarian. Indeed. Yeah, check it out. And for Patreon, thank you to all of our patrons out there, Kelly, Chris, Frank, Peggy, and our anonymous patrons. We really appreciate you so much. Um, If you're interested in becoming a patron, check it out. Uh, You'll get bonus content and bonus episodes about, um, again, things that we don't talk about in the main episodes of the podcast. So thank you again to our patrons. Check it out if you're interested. And Matt, we have a gong to hit. We have two new patrons, Peggy and our anonymous supporter. So I don't know, Ben, are you up for another whack? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That was just a practice last time. (laughs) And swing! Oh, nailed it! My jaw's on the floor right now. That was so cool. (laughs) It it never gets old. (laughs) We'll be saying that three or four years from now. It just never gets old. I still got it. (laughs) so for all you out there become a patron support the podcast be mentioned in the same breadth as the gamera gong um one other thing i want to mention though this is mothra march madness so if you join our patreon between now and april you will get your own free exclusive mothra march madness poster so sign up three dollar tier all the way to a $15 tier. Either way, you're getting a free poster. So continuing that, we will be presenting some more Mothra trivia at the break. I have some new questions for you guys that I think are much harder. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> the the air of confidence among you guys just <laughs> reek with it. <laughs> Unfounded confidence. That's how I operate. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, And before we dive into Mothra, I kind of I wanted to mention a couple of uh, filmmakers and people involved with monster movies who have recently passed away. Rico Browning, he played the creature from the Black Lagoon. 
Wow. He was in his 90s, the last of the classic Universal monsters. And the director of The Amazing Colossal Man, Bert I. Gordon, also passed away recently. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to, to two very influential monster movie makers. I feel like Bert I. Gordon, if anyone was a fan of Mystery Science Theater, that name came up more than a few times, like right up there with Sandy Frank and uh, Roger Corman and all those people. Oh, yeah. Part of the the American International Pictures stable, yeah. which re- does relate to Mothra versus mm. Godzilla, actually. So uh, it also is a nice tie in. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. The Amazing Colossal Man. Uh, I enjoyed that movie so much more than I thought I would. And like, it's yeah, the effects are like pretty creative, pretty clever. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking of the Death by Giant Syringe in particular. Um, <laughs> I am so eager to watch more Burt I. Gordon movies. And now is a perfect time to do so. Speaking of AIP, speaking of Mothra versus Godzilla, what is our history with this film Ben, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, This film is a very, very important film to me. Uh, It is my favorite Godzilla movie. It's one of the very first I ever saw in the fall of 1988. Uh, It's the one that I think cemented my my fandom for Godzilla. Um, I saw it. I talked about this last time, but there used to be a program on TBS every Saturday morning called Super Scary Saturday, uh, where I think his name was Al Lewis, who played uh, Grandpa Munster on the Munsters. (laughs) He filmed these introductions to all of these classic monster movies. Very, very low budget, but it was still just delightful. And I remember in this particular one, he was like training to run a marathon or something like that, but he didn't really want to do the exercise. So he was making a bunch of potions to become super buff and fit or something like that. But uh, I just, I don't know. I I just loved the movie and it's the movie that it's probably the Godzilla movie that I've seen more than any other. Um, It's certainly the one that if anyone is ever interested in, you know, if I have any recommendations to them, if they've never seen a Godzilla movie before, this is the one that I will start with. I, I just I just love it. I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm going to be a little bit of a broken record tonight, I think. I'm... <laughs> so I first met Mothra and fell in love with Mothra when we <laughs> talked about Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster last year. Um, just like the introduction of that character in the show Bajin, uh and Infant Island, all the stuff that surround Mothra in these movies. When I first watched Ghidorah, I was like, what is going on here? This is so bizarre. Um, so as soon as I saw that, I was eager to see as much as many Mothra movies as I could. Um, but you know, now belatedly, I'm finally doing, doing so like I didn't watch Mothra until a couple weeks ago for our episode about that. And this was my first time seeing Mothra versus Godzilla. So I'm essentially a newbie, but I'm already fully in love with the character of Mothra. It is my favorite Godzilla movie. It is the one I grew up with watched over and over and over again. Whenever we went to the video rental store and it happened to be there, I would rent it. So, yeah, lots to talk about broken records all over the place. But let's just read this synopsis. So during a typhoon, a giant egg is washed ashore in Japan. Before scientists can study it, the local villagers claim the egg and sell it to entrepreneurs Kumayama and Torahata. 
They plan to showcase the egg as a tourist attraction. The tiny Shobijin suddenly arrive and try to convince the men to return the egg to Infant Island, since it belongs to Mothra. Instead, the businessmen unsuccessfully try to capture the fairies. Undeterred, Kumeyama and Torahata begin construction of the dome for the egg. Just as the development is completed, though, Godzilla arrives on the mainland. With the King of the Monsters unopposed by military attacks, Japan tries to convince Infant Island to send Mothra for aid. The natives scoff at the request after the egg was not returned, but reluctantly consent after a heartfelt plea. An aging Mothra also agrees to fight Godzilla, knowing it will not survive. Yeah, it's actually not um, maybe a super like inventive story, creative story. But it's solid and definitely holds your attention, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved the I loved the pacing of this movie. I loved it when I was a kid. I love it now. And I love that in between while we're waiting for the egg to hatch is basically when the military launches its its plan of attack. And it's actually a fairly engaging, you know, Godzilla versus the military uh, sequence. I think it's it's all pretty great. I mean, it's 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 so wonderfully staged and filmed that, you know, yeah, I mean, I've I've seen it before and i'll see it several times again but i still love it even if the story is kind of familiar at times the cinematography and the special effects are so well done and so beautiful that like you're not bored for a second like it's totally engaging the entire time so the the three i guess main protagonists the first one is played by akira takarada who should definitely be no stranger to any fan of toho godzilla movies he was in the very first godzilla uh, back in 1954, and he appeared in several others, um, including 1992's Godzilla vs. Mothra, which is sort of a soft remake of the first two Mothra movies. Uh, and, I mean, he's he's in there all the way up to Godzilla Final Wars, and then he had a, a part in the Gareth Edwards uh, 2014 Godzilla movie that unfortunately got cut from the, from the finished product. But, uh, yeah, an absolute A-lister. Uh, in terms of Godzilla movies. Um, Yoriko Hoshi plays Yunko Nakanishi. And uh, I think this was her first appearance in a Godzilla movie, but she would appear in the very in the very next movie in, in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, playing a very similar character. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also has an appearance in one of the Millennium Godzilla movies. I don't remember uh, which one, but I think she plays a prime minister, actually. I mean, she Hiroshi, Hiroshi Koizumi is uh, Professor Miura. Uh, another fan favorite. He appeared in the previous Mothra movie, uh, and he actually he's in several of these uh, Godzilla movies. Usually as a professor, you know, <laughs> sort of a stoic voice of reason. Uh, and his his final Godzilla appearance was in Godzilla Tokyo SOS, where he reprised his role from the original Mothra. Emi and Yumi Ito, uh, the singing twins duo, the Peanuts, reprised their role as the Shobijin. Uh, they would also do the same in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Unfortunately, not in Ibira, but, you know, they're they are just wonderful in this movie. Uh, longtime Godzilla favorite Kenji Sahara plays Jiro Torahata. He's playing against type uh, as a, something of a sleazy businessman. Usually he's kind of more of the the everyman. He was in King Kong versus Godzilla as uh, Fujita 
I think he had for the longest time he had the the record for the most appearances mm. in the Godzilla series, all the way up into the nineties at least. Ben, is Robert Dunham in this movie? <laughs> Robert Dunham is not. Um, although I, I should say that this the 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 man that plays the chief of Infant Island, um, he also played the chief in King Kong versus Godzilla, but I noticed in when I rewatched Mothra before our talk about it. He played the captain of the ship that like like crashes ashore on Infant Island at the start of the movie. And there is no chief in Mothra. So I'm thinking maybe the captain survived and became the island chief. Who knows? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the crew of this movie, once again, we have kind of like the original all-stars of the Toho Kaiju films, uh, directed by Ishiro Honda. Uh, screenplay by Shinichi Sakizawa, special effects by Eiji Suburaya, and cinematography by Hajime Koizumi. Uh, another artist who's back working on this mo- uh, movie is Akira Ifukube, who did the music. Uh, he did not do the music for the original Mothra, but he's back for this one. He adapted elements from Yuji Koseki's Song of Mothra theme from the 1961 film into the score for this movie. And Ifukube also wrote one new song for the Peanuts called The Sacred Springs. And I just want to say that I feel like between Mothra's song and The Sacred Springs, these two movies, Mothra and Mothra vs. Godzilla, might have two of my favorite original songs in any movie ever. They're both fantastic. I, I cannot express how beautiful I think the music in this movie is. And I'm not like a score guy, but... It's been stuck in my head all day today leading up to this conversation. Yeah, I I think it's a perfect balance because you've got the classic Godzilla music, which this was the second time that we had seen most of those themes used because he he used them in the score for King Kong versus Godzilla. We never got to see that on in the United States, but they were there. And then with Mothra's music, he, he, he created themes that are a little bit more lyrical, a little bit more um you know, esoteric and the, the combination of the two just makes for a beautiful score. Um, I, I should mention, I didn't mention this before, but I I'm a self-taught piano player and I started teaching myself to play piano in the fall of 1988. And the first songs I ever taught myself to play were some of the songs that were featured in Mothra versus Godzilla. Some of those themes were the very first things I ever learned. So that's another reason this thing's so special to me. I think it's cool, you know, like the music serves a very kind of narrative purpose in this movie, too. I guess you could say that about Mothra, too, because the Shobijin are taken to Tokyo and then do their nightclub performances in that movie. But here, Mm -hmm. like their music, like it's kind of like an incantation to Mothra, right? To like not only convince her to like help out, but also to like help the egg hatch a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the like, of course, the music is great just on its own, but like also it plays like a very central narrative role in the movie, I think, you know? Yeah, I thought the same thing. So we keep talking about King Kong versus Godzilla, and that was the previous Godzilla movie. And the success of that film with Mothra's standalone film obviously encouraged Toho to say, you know what, let's take Godzilla and Mothra and put them in the same movie. So they're definitely capitalizing on that success. Toho wanted to broaden the appeal of Godzilla a little bit more. Television was creeping in as a competitor. So to broaden audiences, they leaned a little bit more into the the family 
appeal, although clearly much less than with Mothra. There are no children in Mothra versus Godzilla. There's less camp, I feel like. Or no, no, there's less fantasy for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, especially I think about the the, the portrayal of Godzilla in this movie mm. uh, is, is definitely a step back from the way that he was characterized in King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, it's a little bit more of a, a return to how he was presented in the very first Godzilla, mm-hmm. where, you know, he's just this force of, of nature, but there, there's not a lot of like funny, cuddly stuff that Godzilla does at all. And, and I mean, they even like bring back the fact that he is a highly radioactive creature um, that had been missing from the last couple of movies, too. Yeah, I was uh, surprised to read that they were trying to like make this kind of family friendly and kid friendly because I agree with you, Vincent, that the first Mothra movie, I mean, like you have like that little kid character, you have like the sort of bulldog reporter who in one scene like fights off an entire army of henchmen by himself. <laughs> like, I yeah, like I feel like Mothra definitely is trying to cater to the kid audience seemingly more than this one is, which and again, like I think in this movie, like it's themes of sort of like global diplomacy and mutual trust and things like that are kind of way more overt and on the surface than they were in, in the first Mothra. So, but also like this movie, I think would be entertaining for anybody that watched it. So I feel like they probably achieved that purpose, you know? Uh, you mentioned the bulldog. I, cause I thought at one point there is a, there's another reporter who's kind of a stand in for that bulldog character. He's got some witticisms of eating an egg and stuff. And I was like, they could have just cast the same actor from Mothra, Frankie Sakai, but that would have made it a funnier movie. That would have brought the real comedy to it. That clearly wasn't Honda's intention. There's also, you know, there is the reporter who's like eating an egg in the background, but then there's also like the kind of like editor who's almost like um, the J.K. Simmons character in Spider-Man. Why can I not think of his name? J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you have that guy, and then you have, like, the main reporter character who seems, like, very principled. Like, he wants to... Like, he doesn't want to distort the facts. He says that he just wants to, like, report objectively on what's going on or whatever. And then you have the editor saying, you know, sometimes as a reporter, you do have to sort of, like, lead the way. Like, sort of inspire the community and bring people together or whatever. So I think this movie's themes about journalism are a little bit more in-depth than they were in Mothra. Yeah, there's like a despair. Well, all right, let's save that for the theme talk. Okay, <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, the Relisicans do not make a return in this movie. In early drafts of the screenplay, like this movie was going to be a more overt sequel to Mothra with the Relisicans back as the antagonists. The film was released in Japan in April of 1964 and in the US in August of that same year, uh, it was retitled Godzilla versus the Thing. This was the only time until 2016 that a Godzilla movie made it uh, was released in both Japan and the United States in the same year. Mm. This is also one of those Godzilla movies that because I grew up with the dub, I'm just very much in tune with that. I have seen the subtitled version, but that's the one I watched last time. So for this episode, I was like, let's go back to the dub then so I can alternate. And when the title screen comes up, it's Godzilla versus the thing. Yep. (laughs) Like that is so silly. (laughs) It really is. Uh, I mean, from everything I've heard, Mothra was not a very popular character in the United States in the early 1960s. So 
they wanted something that was going to kind of cash in on the the success of King Kong versus Godzilla. So they wanted to make it really mysterious. So I don't know if you've ever seen any of the posters for or, or even the original trailer for this movie. I mean, they they pretty much never showed anything other than the egg. And there'd just be this like giant question mark superimposed on the screen, like, what is the thing? And in some of the posters, it it ends up kind of looking like a strange tentacled monster, like maybe another octopus or something like that. <laughs> but you know, and and even in the dub of of um of this movie, which I love as well, I actually I think it's one of the best dubbing jobs. And I watched the subtitle version this time, but I've seen this movie so many times that I was hearing the dubbed lines the entire time. But even in the dub, they only mention Mothra like eight or nine times. They they call Mothra the thing over and over and over again. And it seems kind of ridiculous. Well, it is inconsistent. That's the thing. Like, okay, you're calling Mothra the thing in one line. And then the next line, you're referring to Mothra as Mothra. For me, it was just kind of like, well, just pick one because <laughs> if it has a name, call it the name. As I recall, there's even like one, one part where he says like the real owner is Mothra. And you could tell that at one point they had him saying the real owner is the thing. So it sounds like he actually says the real owner is Mothra-ing. That seems weird to me, too, because wasn't the first Mothra kind of like a partnership between Toho and Columbia where like they were yeah. required to like set the climactic scene in New Kirk City because Columbia said they wanted like an American style city. So it just seems strange to me that like Columbia would play such a big role in like the first Mothra and now they're trying, not Columbia per se, but like the American distributor is trying to like distance the movie from its Mothra origins, you know? Strange. Yeah. I blame the Three Stooges personally <laughs> for just bringing down the reputation of Mothra, queen of the mm -hmm. monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But still, we have not seen the Three Stooges in space or whatever that movie is called, which maybe is a masterpiece. So I will reserve judgment until we watch that movie. Um, but what's interesting, I just because this is the second film now, Matt, we've talked about that was a, a co-production with or at least was distributed by American International Pictures. Frankenstein Conquers the World was also such a film with the producer Henry G. Saperstein playing a big hand in that. You know, this this must have been kind of early in the partnership with AIP and Saperstein because it was before he, you know, because he started to have this whole kind of like stipulation that American actors get inserted into these movies, which is why Nick Adams is in Frankenstein. And, and then, you know, later on, um, Rose Reason shows up in one. And uh, oh, my gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. The guy who's in um, War of the Gargantuas, Rust Hamblin. But you're right. That's a good point. This the cast in Mothra versus Godzilla, by and large, Japanese, at least in the American cut, there is I mean, I don't know. We're in, in the version you watched. Is there much of a U.S. presence? No, because that that whole frontier missile sequence, that's not in the Japanese cut. But even then, those American actors, they're still playing bit parts. They're not right. They're not Nick Adams. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so this film is generally considered among the best of the Showa-era Godzilla films. The U.S. version is also highly regarded. Early reviews commented on the themes. And today, the dub work is cited as a strong point of the film. So I think that's worth noting because these movies, these types of movies, 
we like to make fun of them for the bad dubbing. But this film is actually good dubbing. And when done right, it can be an effective way to showcase a movie. Yeah, there are lines in this that are are better in in the dubbing. I think that the speech uh, that both of the both of the protagonists make on Infant Island is stronger in the dub. Mm. I, I love lines like, you know, when, when they ask uh, Komiyama, isn't it essential that you know, scientists be allowed to to see the egg. And he's like, for an essential charge, I'll show it to them. Like, that's <laughs> not there in the original. I think it's 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 great. It's great dialogue. I was uh, kind of happy to find that the um, subtitled Japanese version was on HBO Max, which is the one that I watched. Um, and it, like, so far has been my preference, probably because, like, of the subpar dub work that has been in some other movies. But... I'm happy to hear all this. Now it makes me want to go back and watch the dubbed version too. I'll mention it now. This was, I think, the first movie that um, utilized the Oxbury uh, 1900 optical printer that Subaraya was able to purchase um, for for special for visual effects. It basically, at, at the time, there were only two in existence that were being used by studios. The other one was Walt Disney. He had traveled to Walt Disney Studios in the in the early 1960s and basically demanded that Toho purchase one of these for his effects work. And he was powerful enough that he got his way. And wow. so the the you can tell, I mean, there's a dramatic change in, in like the, the the blue screen lines and the matte lines and everything between everything that came before this movie and then Mothra versus Godzilla going forward. It's just much more seamless. I noticed that, especially with the Shobijin, like all the blue screen stuff was so much cleaner in this movie than in Mothra. Uh, optical printers, I, I'm going back to my undergrad college days. There's so much fun to play with. There was one at UW-Milwaukee where I went to school and like you can, you know, like you can just do many so many things with it. Obviously, I have not worked at all with this Oxbury one, but like just the ability to like you know, you shoot part of the frame on film and then you like, um, you know, you can just do so many things with like rewinding it and re-exposing it and like adding other elements to it. Like just the fun that you can have with that and like the visions that you can create. It's just like really surreal and, and amazing. And obviously this movie and Super Ride do do it probably better than anybody. So love optical printers. Just want to give a shout out to that. <laughs> Shout out to optical printers. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. That's great, guys. On that note, banditsemporium.com is the official t-shirt partner of Camp Kaiju. Check out banditsemporium.com or hit the link in our bio to check out their selection of monster-inspired tees. Part of the proceeds goes to supporting this very show. Visit banditsemporium.com. Whatever your style, they have you covered. As they say, we sell shirts. As Camp Kaiju says, it's Mothra March Madness! So, Matt, you won last time, right? I I think we tied last time because we both answered everything correctly, if I remember right. We each got, well, we each got one right, and then there was a question about the wingspan of the moth. And mm. we were way off on that, like... Okay, so this will be the tiebreaker round. Okay, <laughs> Matt. Yes. Released in the United States through American International Pictures, what was the movie Mothra vs. Godzilla, or sorry, Godzilla vs. The Thing, a double bill with? Was it A, The Amazing Colossal Man, 
B. Voyage to the End of the Universe. C. The She-Creature. Or D. The Pit and the Pendulum. I'm going to say B. You are correct. Nice. That was a lucky guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben. Gotta tie it here. When our heroes arrive at the desolate infant island, they are greeted by mysterious bones. One of these skeletons resembles a turtle with its head swaying back and forth. No, it's not just the breeze blowing. This is in fact a living animal. What is the name of this kaiju in the Godzilla universe? There's a turtle kaiju in the Godzilla universe? A skeleton? Oh! Like a name that someone actually gave this thing a name? Yes. <laughs> uh, but it's official now. Like, it's an official Toho. It's part of canon? Yeah. What is its name? Is it A, Bonera? B, Skeleturtle? C, Bone Shell? Or D, Donatello? <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go with A, Bonera. Bonera. Ooh. Aww. Sorry, Ben. Matt, you can steal for the win. Just because this is my personal favorite, I'm gonna go with C, Bone Shell. (laughs) I hope that's the answer. No? Oh, man. Wait, it was Skeleturtle? Yes. Wow. Look it up, Skeleturtle. It's a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I always just sort of presumed that was an accident, but I love the idea that it's no, it's a living it's a living turtle skeleton. To be clear, I think it was an accident. <laughs> but in the 60 years since it is it is fans and now Toho recognize it as its own thing. Um Ben, it turns to you now. The final Oh, there's question. Oh, yeah, there's one more. Okay. Okay, so you're now you're you're both No, Matt's still in the lead. He's got one on you. Kumayama, one of the nefarious businessmen, says, quote, regular chicken eggs cost eight yen wholesale. I figured this egg, meaning Mothra's egg, was equal to one hundred and fifty-three thousand eight hundred and twenty eggs. Multiply that by eight. Mothra, it's got a big egg. What creature, what real world creature? lays the largest egg in the animal kingdom? Is it A, the ostrich? B, the Nile crocodile? C, the California condor? Or D, the giant salamander? Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say A, ostrich. You are correct! Woo! Yeah! (laughs) All right. Nice. <laughs> I, f- I feel redeemed for the Skeleturtle kerfuffle. <laughs> Skeleturtle kerfuffle is a good tongue twister. Say that ten times fast. All right. Well, you guys are tied again. Yay. All right. <laughs> nice. Even new match. <laughs> All right. Some themes of Mothra versus Godzilla. I think. I think there's one one that stands out. It's this goodwill and mutual trust between nations. But also I'd be more I would I would hone in on that more and kind of the the unity of of uh, humankind, like 
we're all in this together. I agree. And not only, you know, we are your brothers and we are, we are one, one people, but also we are fallible. We are, we are trying as best as we can. I think that is one thing that comes through a little stronger in the, in the subtitled version, but you know, we, we will all make mistakes. It's how we learn and grow and what we do the next time that that matters more. Yeah. And I think if you read, you know, Japan and Infant Island as two different nations, then that is pretty easy to contextualize against the Cold War and all these different superpowers sort of, you know, with the specter of nuclear annihilation kind of hovering over everything. Like you just kind of have to trust your fellow man not to push that button and not to, you know, plunge the world even deeper into destruction. So, yeah, I think that theme of of mutual trust between one's fellow man uh, certainly at that time, I think, had more of like a, uh, like greater stakes, you know? I feel like there's a colonial grievance that the natives on Infant Island have towards those on Japan, and they have legitimate grievances. You bombed our island, or you used it for nuclear testing. We suffer from the disease, at least in the dubbed version. The chief talks about disease, and I'm like, okay, that's radiation. So why would they help Japan? the aggressors, the colonizers. And, you know, it's really Mothra who seems to be... Somebody made this point. Uh, it might have been Steve Rifle. I, I, I was reading something where he kind of made this point. I, I think it was him. But Mothra is kind of um, superior, maybe morally, to humans because Mothra has the ability to recognize that all humanity you know is uh all fallible all kind of like part of the same race or whatever so like while humans are squabbling like the japanese and the infant island people mothra is the one to sort of like agree to help and sort of look beyond these sort of um arbitrary conflicts you know since we're talking about infant island what a transformation from the mothra standalone film it's like what happened to infant island it's no longer lush a desolate wasteland of radiation it seems like it brought it brought the atomic anxiety and fears front and center once more yeah it's interesting because because you do get the impression that the test continued after the first mothra movie even though they knew what they knew they still continued to drop bombs and stuff yeah or it's the lingering effects of the first bombs that could be and i think i think this is the last time at least in the Showa era, that radiation really and and these nuclear themes are so strong. I think so. It's the last time Godzilla himself is portrayed as a menace, as a radiation bomb. And I read that Ishiro Honda wanted to go even further with that, with Mothra versus Godzilla. Like he wanted to really show like the graphic devastation on Infant Island that all these nuclear tests had inflicted. Um, but it was kind of like a budget issue and like they didn't really have the special effects budget to, you know, build that world. But uh, yeah, I read that Ishiro Honda kind of regretted that and wished that he had been a little bit more aggressive in, in pushing those themes, even yeah. though it's already pretty overt here, I would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Skeleturtle. He's like, <laughs> yeah, we get Skeleturtle. <laughs> a metaphor for all of the nuclear devastation throughout history. Skeleturtle. <laughs> uh, the other big theme of this film is the dark underbelly of capitalism. Uh, there's, there's so many different angles for me. What I, looked at the the argument that the entrepreneurs of happy enterprises 
also. And they're having this back and forth with the the local fishermen who aren't getting paid what they're owed. And it's just like this great example of class struggle, of labor versus the business machine. I think what, another thing that's interesting, since they dropped the idea of Relisica being the villain in this, rather than in Mothra where you know the evil capitalist villain is still from an outside country now it's these are japanese businessmen like it's it's you know the 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 talons have fully sunk in and this is just part of their culture now rather than being an outside influence yeah definitely i so there's the scene where um the two businessmen um kumiyama and torahata like at first they try to abduct the shobijin and when they can't do that they try to buy the shobijin which is sort of what happens in the first mothra as well um and i just you know it's maybe kind of an obvious way to present the theme but i just think i, I you know if force doesn't succeed then maybe money will like that's just is like such a capitalistic way of thinking or whatever you guys remember how kumiyama dies in the end it's not shown as blatantly in the American version, but he's shot in the head. Oh my God, really? Yeah. By Torahata, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's shot in the American version, but I just, it's, it's cut in a way that, you know, maybe he just got shot in the back. No, there's a big gash in his forehead. Whoa. When he's like cradling all that money, right? Like right. He's trying to, yeah. That's a pretty distinct shot right there. It's a clear image. Even Torahata. They make it very clear, or at least you get the impression that everyone else in that hotel got out before Godzilla got there. That like, you know, they're, they're, they're ushering people and then it's an empty hallway. And then Torahata comes out and he's carrying that huge bag of money. Like if he hadn't waited to get all of that, he probably would have survived. I was going to make a Last Crusade reference, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can reach it. Yeah. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> but he didn't let it go. And it's so much better because that scene is awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, these these villains do not have arcs like they don't they don't have these come to come to Mothra moments. They are just like moral tragedies. And it's like, yeah, well, that's what you get for being a money grubbing dirtbag. I also have to say in that sequence, because I had the pleasure of getting to see this movie at the Trilon Cinema um, last summer. They were doing. Uh, in South Minneapolis, they were showing Godzilla movies mm. throughout the month of May. And this being my favorite, I, I went and saw it. And that sequence when Torahata is like days from having gotten punched and he kind of like groggily, like first the camera's a little bit out of focus and it comes into focus and he looks and he just gasps when it cuts right and there's Godzilla coming straight at him. That sequence, you know, seeing it with a theater full of people, and I don't know how many of them had seen it before, but they're all just like, oh, like it's so great i love it every single time i see it i had the same moment last night alone in my living room i was like because that shot is so in your face and unexpected godzilla's just there like, oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know even though it it does kind of just like continue the theme directly from mothra how you have the obviously the roliskins rosilicans uh just like continuing the theme directly from nelson to these two characters in mothra versus godzilla mm-hmm. i kind of love it like i know it's kind of you know, replaying some of those themes and ideas, but it's it makes it seem like a cohesive pair of movies. 
Ben, I'm happy that you brought up the Oxberry 1900, I think it is, that optical printer, because, but you really can tell that, like, the composite shots, especially the shots of the Shobijin, uh, there are some shots of, like, Godzilla kind of rampaging in the background as, like, villagers, like, flee in the foreground yeah. that look fantastic. The the separation between, like, planes, like, foreground and background is a lot cleaner. Um, it's just a lot more convincing effect, I think, in this case. They built a new suit for this film, and uh, the actor in the suit, Haruo Nakajima, um, you know, talked about how it, like, afforded a lot more flexibility. He could move around without having to worry about tripping all the time. And I think you can see that, like, especially in the, the final fight between Mothra and Godzilla, it's really intense and like tactile. You feel like you can reach out and like touch the Godzilla suit, you know? Um, so I just think in general, this is maybe the best special effects work that Tsuburaya had done up to this point. Um, I feel like you hardly ever see these bright, beautiful colors in movies anymore. Uh, it's just like really a wonder to behold, like the bright blue skies. There, there are some shots that are just like mind blowingly beautiful in this movie. So again, shout out to Hajime Koizumi for, for that. So much of this movie takes place during the day. It's it's mm. bright and sunshiny versus the first Godzilla movie. It's all at night. And even in King Kong versus Godzilla, there's a lot of sequences that are a little bit darker. But this is very bright and vibrant. Absolutely. And I think when it does slightly depart from that, like I think at least one of the scenes where the military is attacking Godzilla is kind of at dusk and it's sort of like a dark blue sky in the background. And the, like it's, that still, of course, is like so vibrant and bright and beautiful, even though it's not like sun drenched, you know. And and I should say, because I, I I debated saving this for the good, but there's so much other good stuff. We talked about the effects work. The battle between Godzilla and adult, I mean, both of the battles are great, but between Godzilla and adult Mothra is, I think it's just a masterpiece. The way that the, the whole thing is staged, the way that it's filmed, the fact that, you know, it's so, again, to bring up King Kong versus Godzilla again, that was a professional wrestling match of a movie where they did that on purpose to kind of like, and in this one, it it goes back to two animals actually duking it out and the fact that there's more at stake than just two creatures fighting is that she's defending her, her very longevity. Like the, the fact that if this egg is destroyed, there's no more Mothra. I hear you. That fight between Godzilla and adult Mothra. I was just struck by how frenetic it was. It was just like so furious mm -hmm. and like a lot of close-ups, a lot of I don't even think it was like quick editing. I just think it was quick movements like the like Nakajima and the suit and the puppet work with Mothra just moving so fast. And I think the camera was also sped up. There's something there with. Yeah. Well, I mean, like so often Godzilla sequences would be would be shot at a higher speed so that it was when it slowed down, they looked more lumbering. And it also helped with like destruction, things falling at a more natural pace. But in this case, you can tell that there were sequences where they didn't do that, or maybe they even like actually sped the film up at the end. I think we really see that in the close-ups of adult Mothra flying. Like, I just feel like in past flying monster movies, like Rodan, for example, the shots tend to be like a little bit further in the distance, maybe to like avoid seeing the wires and stuff like that. But in this case, like we are right up against Mothra. You can see like every light in her eyes and like all the little like threads of her body. You know, it's it's really um, not only is it beautiful, but it makes it really exciting and exhilarating, too. 
Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention about the form and the aesthetic. I wanted to read up a little bit about Toho scope, which was the widescreen format that so many Toho movies used. You know, the opening logo is for Toho scope. Um, which is very familiar, I think, to Kaiju fans. And it turns out it was like exactly the same thing as CinemaScope, which was like what Hollywood used for so many years, specifically to like differentiate Hollywood movies from TV, because like we alluded to before, TV was a big competitor at the, at the time. Uh, so Toho Scope and CinemaScope are pretty much the same thing, but it was just like Toho's proprietary name for it. So that history was a little bit less interesting than I thought it would be. I was hoping I would get some like <laughs> nitty gritty technical facts about that, but still kind of interesting that they just kind of lifted that technology, you know? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I really liked about this movie are the special effects, but compared to Mothra 1961, what I like about these effects to me, they seemingly are pared down it's like a less is more approach i feel like subaraya went so hard with mothra the movie that they got feedback and they adjusted and they say you know what let's if we're going to show the shobijin let's not use dolls just like that that didn't work so the shobijin i feel like are just way more seamless and there's a shot where they're like running around furniture on the floor i thought in the moment, did they just make a giant chair and film the actual actors? And they did. That's brilliant. That That's way more convincing, obviously, than the blue screen that they would do before. And 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 it's seamless. The, the details between the actual size furniture and the floor, especially the tile and everything on the floor. It's 20 years before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. A.G. Subaraya had it, man. Yeah. And I love the final scene between the two larvae mm -hmm. i think it's really fun i think it's staged really well it's like a shootout almost like the larvae are like ducking behind the rocks when godzilla shoots it's like an old west shootout i just <laughs> ah it just gets my inner kid really happy yeah yeah and godzilla gets his butt handed to him and i love it whenever that happens to godzilla <laughs> yeah he 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 seems so so annoyed that this is happening <laughs> like just what do you stop it don't stop it you know it's great especially because the mothra larva seem to have only one special move against him which is like spitting their silk at him that's all they do but it's still like right. really fun and i yeah if i were godzilla i would be pretty annoyed by that too i think one of my absolute favorite scenes i mean i love so much i love i love the attack on nagoya i love the fact that Rather than in a typical movie, it's like, oh, the monster is coming. Let us all evacuate. Let us all go to the shelters. It's like uh, Godzilla just showed up and he's coming here. He's going to be here now. So you have to run. So it's like there's no time to actually prepare. And everyone is just fleeing as fast as they can. And there's that one sequence where, you know, they're fleeing down the street. And just in the corner of the screen, you see Godzilla getting closer and closer and it's just, I mean, it's kind of terrifying. It's like, it's its like, oh, this is what it would actually be like. And oh, my God. Yep. Felt the same thing. Can I mention something? Because we didn't talk about this before with the effects. But there are two scenes that are basically accidents that look so cool that they kept in. One of them is during the confrontation with the military. When at one point when they're dropping those firebombs, the Godzilla suit 
catches fire for a bit. Like his face is just on fire, <laughs> which had to have been terrifying for poor Haro Nakajima. Um, but it just looks so great. And then there's there's another sequence when he attacks the Nagoya castle at the end of that whole scene where he was supposed to have just basically like climbed down and knocked it over. But he the actor actually slipped and slid into the castle and you see it happen. And then the castle didn't break. So they had to kind of like cut take a few of the things apart so that they could actually, you know, smash the thing. But like, it's a total accident, but it looks so great. It's like, it makes Godzilla even angrier because he slips and then he hits the castle. It doesn't fall. And he's like, Oh, now it's on. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid castle. Uh, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll give my two favorite scenes of the movie, which I feel like are pretty representative of why I love it so much. So the first one is Godzilla's first appearance when he rises up from the mud. Uh, it's in a like the construction site that um, the kind of evil, greedy capitalist is, uh, you know, they're building this new development. Um, and the the female photographer says, look, there's something moving in the distance. And there's this great <laughs> moment where we're like, we see the dirt start to rise. And then Ifakube's score starts and Godzilla rises and like shakes off the dirt like it's amazing like if you that's why you love kaiju movies you know for like moments like that um so that's one of them my other favorite moment is when the trio the two journalists and the scientists go to infant island and they kind of have this like induction ceremony with the natives probably more on the natives in a second but um and then they, they kind of hear the shobijin singing and they like go to see the shobijin and there are these amazing shots where the Shobijin are like in the middle of this like gorgeous bed of flowers. There's just like bright blue and pink and red, like all these amazing colors. And the Sacred Springs is the song that they're sing singing, the new Ifakube song. Um, and it's, yeah, just like a bizarre, beautiful, kind of haunting, melancholy moment. Uh, and, you know, the kind of thing that I don't think you would see in any other movie, but like a kaiju movie from the early 60s. So right. those two moments are the best in the movie, in my opinion. I'm. I mean, I'm basically with you because I love this movie so much. But I, I, I guess if there's anything that that maybe I don't like about the movie, and it's not that I don't like it. I like it fine. But if I really had to pick anything, it's that a lot of the conflict, at least the human conflict, is a little bit um, it's it's a little unrealistic, a little, you know, like fabricated, I guess. the The fact that the whole situation is Mothra wants her egg back, but some entrepreneurs are saying, no, there is no reason that Mothra couldn't have just flown in, grabbed the thing and taken it back to the Island. Uh, I feel like any, any, any of the, the, the villains it's like, we needed a villain for the movie. So let's give them something. And simultaneously, we needed something for the humans to do at the end of the movie. So let's have some teacher and, and some kids stuck on an island so they can kind of perform this rescue it's it's not bad it's it certainly doesn't detract from the movie but if there's anything that i that i maybe don't like if i'm really being honest it's that i probably do have a little bit more in the bad category than you guys and that's not um what? not not yeah i know how I, dare you i know <laughs> uh not to say that i dislike the movie which is certainly not true at all but um i do feel like there's a slight sense of deja vu 
you know, I just watched this last night and like earlier today, I was like, I feel like I need to watch this again on fast forward because I don't remember a lot of it. So I feel like some of it has a sense of like redundancy or just like not standing out all that much. And I, um, you know, I think like the themes again are like pretty much carried over from Mothra. And that's, I know I said before that that's not a bad thing, but it does kind of lend a sense of familiarity to it. I think also maybe it's just the order that I saw these movies in, because when I first watched Ghidorah, the three headed monster, like the idea of like a kaiju, like sort of battle Royale was like new to me at the time. And in this case, like the Mothra versus Godzilla fight, maybe I was unfairly like comparing that to Ghidorah. It's not a flashy movie. I don't think, I think it's a very well made movie, but it's not Ghidorah and it's not Mothra. Yeah, I could see that. I, you know, when I, when I think about like Rodan, that the, like, I think of that as like a horror movie. Like there are some mm -hmm. really terrifying moments and that's kind of you know, the first thing that comes to mind for that one. Like when I think of Ghidorah, I think of just like the crazy imagination in that movie. Like even the sort of like uh, alien storyline and the human storyline is kind of just really bizarre in that movie. So I guess like with Mothra versus Godzilla, I'm like, yeah, it's really good, but I don't know how, like, yeah, nothing really leaps out at me from it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I get that. Uh, but I mean, you're right. Like all the characters, the 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 trio. I mean, it's basically the same prototypes that we saw in Mothra. I mean, we've seen these characters in in other uh, Ishiro Honda movies and other movies written by Shinichi Sekizawa for sure. Um, and I don't think it's any. It should not come as a surprise that like starting with the next movie, they start bringing in like outer space and aliens and other things. It's like they've kind of said everything that they could say about this particular subject um great um for the campy the nagoya sequence to me i was just cracking up because godzilla's stumbling around like a drunken sailor not only does he slip and fall face first into the castle but he gets before that he gets his tail stuck in a tower like a radio tower and he's like trying to pull it out pull it out he pulls it out and the momentum takes him forward and he just face plants into some buildings you know going back to the whole villain thing this is again something that i've seen this movie so many times and it's never occurred to me until just watching it yesterday just how ridiculous this idea is that there's this giant egg we don't know what is going to come out of it so let's build an amusement park around it yeah. like let's let's do everything we can to like you know like hasten the pace of of um the egg hatching like at at worst the egg is going to hatch and then they're just going to try to bring people to this park where there used to be an egg but like what's probably going to happen is it's going to be this giant creature that's going to destroy everything like it doesn't really make a lot of sense it's if their had if their plan had gone swimmingly like the way they had intended it probably would have ended horribly for everybody involved you know <laughs> a lot of collateral damage Let's see here. Well, I think uh, one of the villains, Toro Hata, um, he's just like so over the top, kind of like Nelson in Mothra. He's like so over the top villainous. Like, I really love the shot where uh, Kumiyama, like his partner in crime, I guess you could say, is calling him on the phone. And we see Toro Hata in like this really bright, garish robe and his like girl Fridays, like plying him with liquor. Like, it's totally ridiculous. And in a movie with a lot of far-fetched things, I was like, wow, this is way over the top. Well, guys... That was great. Let us now see if Mothra versus Godzilla stands the test of time. 
Yeah, definitely. So our highest category is it is a timeless classic and definitely stands the test of time. After that, we have there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and stands the test of time. Our third rating is it may be historically significant or just fun, but does not stand the test of time. And our lowest ranking, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. A wild opinion. I think I know where me and Ben fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Matt, where do, where do you land with this film? <laughs> Just to be a contrarian, I suppose. And also because um, I want to reserve like the highest ranking for like, like to me, my favorites are still the original Godzilla and Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. Uh, so like I have my classic ranking and this is like close to the classic ranking, but I think because of that feeling of I've seen this before or maybe um, a lack of something that really jumps out at me, I think I will say that there may be some antiquated moments, but overall this is great. It stands the test of time. It's so well made. Really, really liked it a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm not even going to pretend. This, for me, it's a timeless classic. Definitely stands the test of time. Like, I cannot separate myself from this movie on a real critical perspective. I just have to. And I also have to say that because this was one of the first ones I saw, I saw this one before I saw Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. And as much as I love that movie... And I think it's one of the most wildly creative Godzilla movies uh, that exist. I rank this one higher than Ghidorah. I agree. Uh, I I agree because I my flavor of Godzilla is when it's less fantastical. I appreciate the human drama. I like this is one of the few human stories that I like and I think is compelling enough to keep my interest. I think it's a timeless classic. It stands the test of time for all the reasons we've all mentioned. And Matt, it's so funny because I think when we rated Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, I think I put it a notch below classic. So it's interesting that in that influence of like, just honestly, what do you watch first? Maybe sticks with you. I think that's a big part of it for sure. And you know, like I regret that I didn't watch these movies when I was really young, when I was like four or five years old. If I had seen this when I was so young, I probably would think it's a timeless classic as well. Good deal. Ben, thank you so much. This was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I, I absolutely love uh, being a part of this and being a part of the last episode. You know, I would love to come back anytime. Absolutely. You will, for sure. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Ben. Alrighty. Until next time. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, leave a rating and review. Visit CampKaijuMovieReviews.com, Instagram, or Patreon.com slash CampKaiju for more monster movie content. We can't thank you enough. And before I forget, and before I forget, Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with part of the proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com, hit the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. And as Camp Kaiju says... Thanks again, friends. Until next time, stay campy. Godzilla. Terror monster of the motion picture screen meets The Thing. Godzilla versus The Thing. Innocent looking, but so feared pagan man worshipped it. See the battle of 
gigantic forces spreading terror across the world. Can man's inventions conquer them? See in color, terror scope. Godzilla versus the thing.